KZSU Stanford. This is 9.1 FM. This is the Henry George Program. I am Mark Bolano. This is a show where we talk about economics, housing, issues in the Bay Area, and beyond. Today in the program, Scope 2035 right here on Stanford campus. We have two members of Scope 2035, Cecily Foote and Nani Friedman. Welcome to the show. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Yeah, so I guess first off, what is Scope 2035 for someone who knows nothing about it? Yeah, so it stands for Stanford Coalition for Planning and Equitable 2035. And we were an outgrowth of the student group Students for Sustainable Stanford focused on um, the general use permit. And the general use permit is a agreement between Stanford and Santa Clara County because Stanford has this really unique position of being its own county but kind of in the middle of Santa Clara. So it's it's what's called unincorporated. So sure. back in 2000, um, the this county created this unique agreement because Stanford wanted to keep expanding, and they decided to make them apply for how much academic buildings and how much housing space they wanted to add. I guess before we get into the uh, nitty-gritty, well, what, what both uh, brought you to t- Scope 2035? Where did you first hear about it, and how did you say this is a group that I want to be part of? Yeah, so I first heard about it um, last spring um, and was really excited that that there was a group kind of looking out for what Stanford's doing in terms of um, housing justice, transportation justice. And there's this really it's a really unique time to be part of this because it's um, it only happens every so many years. Um, And, yeah, I was excited to see what was going on on the inside and help help promote it. And uh, Nani? I uh, started working with people who are now scope about a year and a half ago and um, we were looking at the general use permit through the lens of a housing justice research class and that kind of morphed into um, what we are now and I'm from this area and I'm very familiar with how much the housing crisis is impacting people Um, and so I was especially motivated to consider the impacts that Stanford is having on surrounding communities in this specific way. So before Scope uh, scope 2035, it's very clear this is about this year's uh, general use permit. Uh, the previous version of the group, has it been around a while or was that also a relatively new group? It's, pre- it's relatively new because it really formed in response to the fact that the general use permit is happening now. And it's, it's only renewed about every 20 years. And it governs the um, all of un- Stanford land on unincorporated Santa Clara County, that's about 4,000 acres of land. Stanford is one of the major, major landowners in this region. And um, the fact that this is going to govern what it's allowed to do with all of that land for 20 years means that now is a particularly important time to be thinking about these issues. Yeah, I think, I, I guess back when I was on campus, I saw Stanford CA, I thought maybe, oh, Stanford is its own city. It's it's not its own city. It is really just at the mercy of the county at large, which means that all of its zoning decisions eventually go to Santa Clara Board of Supervisors. Exactly. Uh, so I guess, the, the as I understand, the general use permit is, it basically makes it so they don't have to approve each thing one by one. Is that the idea? Exactly. So if it's there's one permit um, that governs all of, all of the land, it allows Stanford the flexibility to make decisions about um, if they have, you know, so many square foot of academic building that they're allowed to do, for example, they can then make the decisions on on when and how they want to do that. So um, it really is putting Stanford in a position of great responsibility. And and, and Scope 2035, how would you describe what is their overall stance 
Visa, the uh, the GUP? What would you say, like, if it was listing its top level demands or hopes, what what does it really hope to achieve by by raising attention to this? Yeah, so we have a couple key areas that we're looking at, and one of them is housing, um, one of them is transportation, um, and those, yeah, those two are really big ones. And then another one is um, environmental impact, so greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, I think um, we're really advocating for equitable outcomes from this permit. We're very concerned with how, with the impact that this is having on the surrounding communities in terms of um, equity and access to things like housing and transportation. So I think hey, when you, everyone says I want I want fairness in housing, right. I want justice in housing, <laughs> then you get to the the ugly nuts and bolts of right. how what is your vision of justice, and how would you describe kind of what are very concrete things you want to achieve with with your influence on the GOP? Yeah. Um, so with with housing um, for this for this general use permit, um, there's you can look at it kind of two ways. Stanford can either calculate the number of new people that will be coming to campus. Uh, because of new students that they're that they're taking in, or new um, staff and faculty, and new workers um, that have to come in to supply new buildings, so you can add the number of beds, or what you can do is pay a fee to the to the county that will supposedly match um, the impact of 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 bringing in that many people. Um, now, one thing that has been important in in our comments about the environmental impact report draft is um, the fee that the county is proposing is extremely lower than the actual fee that would match the impact of added housing. Mm-hmm. So, so w- this is the affordable housing fee, which I understand uh, it's looking to keep it at twenty dollars. What does this twenty dollars mean? What does that mean in reference to, I guess, one unit of housing or one one worker or how does that work? Yeah, so in um, it's it's a, a point of leverage used all over this area by cities and counties to, to of a developer saying, um, you're you know this commercial development is going to generate jobs that's going to have an impact, a housing impact, <clears throat> on um, the price of housing in this area, especially for low income folks. And so it's a way of of connecting what is the impact that one square foot of commercial development has on someone looking for housing. And, um, and so it's a, way, it's a fee that is charged of developers that goes into a, a fund by the city or the county that they then use to build affordable housing. So in other words, it's, it's only used for additional new development. Yes. And if you talk about the existing unhoused staff at right. Stanford, is there really nothing that Stanford does to, I guess, pay towards the fact that they're being housed by the rest of the Bay Area? Yeah, well, they, they do have a lot of housing uh, benefits for faculty and some staff, some graduate students have access to housing um, and high level faculty do, ha- you know, are housed on campus. That's a big part of the general use permit is Stanford houses does house a lot of people and we should also celebrate that and encourage that. Um, but it all, but workers, service workers on campus don't have access to that type of house, that those types of housing benefits. And they're the ones who are now um, commuting the farthest. They're the most impacted by the rising rents and the rising uh, housing prices. And so 
that's another example. We're concerned with, you know, the affordable housing fee. We're concerned with wanting Stanford to house more of its workers and give its workers some of the benefits that other uh, faculty and staff receive. And we also want to see Stanford house as many people on its land as possible because we're generating, we bring students to campus, we bring new employees to campus. Part of this development permit actually maps out what Stanford's population growth is going to look like through 2035. And that's incredible. We get to to see how what what are what is Stanford going to be growing into, but it also means that we need to understand the ways in which that growth impacts other communities, and we so we're really focused on encouraging Stanford to build as much housing as possible. So, so let's talk about I guess the makeup of the group. How big is uh, Scope Twenty Five these days? Um, I'd say in, in the active weekly meetings, it's uh, around ten people. Um, in kind of the core group, like mm-hmm. 10 to 15. Um, the larger group, I'd say, is uh, upwards of 50 or so people mm-hmm. who are kind of like willing to be there for certain actions or willing to help out in small ways. And these are undergrads and grads? A of- mix, yeah, mostly undergraduates. And uh, yeah, I guess it's very interesting because it's, it's, uh, if you're undergraduate, you are by definition housed on campus. And most, or I guess it's certainly good when you're graduate students, speak from my personal experience, to be housed on campus. And uh, I, I don't know, I guess, would you say it's fair to say that it's very easy when you're in the Stanford bubble to just ignore the fact that housing is insecure for many mm-hmm. people around the Bay Area? Mm-hmm. Especially people who come here from, not from this area. It's, I think, as an undergrad, extremely to, extremely easy to not understand the severity of the crisis that we're in. So, so, so as far as you being in the Bay Area, well, where, whereabouts was, was your background here? And what, what did you see as far as housing change in, in your time growing up here? Yeah, I'm from Belmont, and I went to school in Redwood City. I also, before that, went to school in Palo Alto. Uh, I think my time in, in high school in Redwood City was some of the, the time in which I, I felt that I was witnessing a lot of change. Many people have seen downtown Redwood City build up a lot. And also hearing stories about people, about friends who are were starting to move into their friends and neighbors' garages or p- folks who were um, moving way out of the area but still coming to the a- commuting to the area in order to you know keep the type of um, the li- quality of living with our education and, and um, other opportunities that we have here on the peninsula. Yeah, and, and do you, do you have a kind of a ready pitch for saying someone who's a student who really, I guess, could be completely ignorant about housing? How do you really make it clear to them that this is an issue that should matter to them? I think that's extremely important to this this general use permit process. Is no one's going to um, really get activated around it if they don't understand the ways in which housing and transportation are are extremely difficult here. Um, and I think part of it is just kind of plugging in and and listening to community members and who are saying this is a crisis folks in east palo alto are organizing around this all the time um in in bell haven and north fair oaks and so i think part of it is understanding um and listening to those stories people are getting you hear anecdotal stories of people getting a thousand dollar rent raises one month and then the next month it's another thousand dollars or you know the absence of protections for tenants means that we, people are being displaced every single day. And I think getting that across is extremely important. I guess you can talk about the uh, the self-interest of, of a student to say, like, they 
have a chance of wanting to stay in the Bay Area, is there going to be room for them? From the people I've known over the years here going through KZSU, uh, there has been a lot of people who just they know the Bay Area isn't going to have room for them if unless they have a really mm-hmm. generously paying job. And then on top of it, even if they find a place to stay in town, how do they basically live without the kind of you know knowledge that they are acting to advance displacement of others? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people live with that knowledge. I think that it's when you're just one person or just a group of people squeeze, squeezing into one house. It, I think that um, it doesn't feel like you can make a huge difference by living somewhere else. Like if you weren't going to live there, other other graduates from Stanford would. Um, so I think when you're looking at it just person by person, it's hard. It's hard to feel culpable. It's 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 very weird place that Stanford's in because what's really really rare like what's scarce in the Bay Area is is land to build on. All these cities are you know kind of running out, especially at the level of density they're willing to grow at. And I find it is is does Stanford have any kind of desire to say we would love to staff all you know have all of our staff housed here because really that means they could pay them effectively more real dollars if their cost of living goes down. And they have the land to do it, which puts them in a really cozy position. And I see that the amount of actual units they're planning to create in this GUP. In 2000, they had 3,000 housing units. This time, 3.15 housing units. Considering the growth of the area, that's not a huge change. Were they aiming higher, or is this really about as high as they were willing to go? I think... um they're from the Stanford perspective. I would, I think they're in the similar situation that a lot of the suburban uh, governments in this area are facing, which is the desire to not in, not change the character of their campus or their city, and maintain the, the low density that they currently have. And we absolutely agree with what you just said that the the type of num- types of numbers that they're projecting in their application is totally does not meet the need in this area given the current situation. And I, that was something we emphasized over and over again in our comments on the draft environmental impact report. Yeah, and I guess you talk about, like, I guess the obligation of most places you pay back through, you know, property taxes and so on. I mean, you bring up the kind of you know, the fact that Prop 13 has, has screwed this up uh, more than a bit in California, but as an educational institution, Stanford doesn't even have that responsibility. Mm-hmm. It is are all of is all of its land untaxed as far as this goes. And they're a nonprofit, so from the perspective of academic space, there it is it is untaxed, and um, they have a lot of land not on you know in other jurisdictions like Palo Alto and Menlo Park, and they use that um, for. You know, commercial. De- they they you know, folks rent th- rent out those spaces and use it as offices or a retail space. And in that that case, those businesses do pay taxes. Mm. Um, but in many ways, Stanford um, does act like a real estate developer. They're developing in uh, on El Camino and Menlo Park and Sand Hill and Menlo Park. You, we all are familiar with Stanford Hospital and Stanford Shopping Center, which is uh, on Palo Alto land. And they have they spend bill. They've spent billions of dollars on developing these projects and they get you know serious cash out of it and so you know especially given their situation as a nonprofit and and an academic institution the, the impacts we're thinking about 
are super, super important. That's really interesting, too, because you talk about, like, okay, you run a campus, you're going to have staff for campus. You're going to have your, you know, your faculty and staff to work at cafeterias. But then you're talking about they build additional retail, mm-hmm. and that's even more housing that is going to be needed uh, on top of just what is the bare essentials of, of what makes up a college. Totally. Like in the 2016-2017 um, academic year, Stanford spent uh, $303.6 million on land building and real estate. They're current, and as of October, they were working on 10 different real estate projects, six of which were commercial, costing a total of $1.25 billion. <laughs> That's not, that's not small small money around. Not at all. And I guess if you talk about, like, what is the idea of, oh, you're an educational institution. You know, this should be untaxed because education is a good for, for everybody. And two, it spurs growth in the area. But then I guess you talk about, is it really good? So many people in the area are saying growth is the problem. And they're mm-hmm. saying what we need in the Bay Area is less innovation, less growth, less business. And I guess... Are you faced with that kind of uh, rhetoric, and wh- what do you say to that? Yeah, well, this is actually a, a really big problem that we're facing right now. Um, so back in back in the 2000 Cup, um, Supervisor Joe Samidian kind of um, pushed for this point that there, Stanford has not defined a maximum build-out. They have not defined the limits to their growth. Um, he he left, so he was so that was actually one of the requirements of a previous environmental impact report. A previous GUP that Stanford had, um, the kind of the big proponent of that, Joseph Midian, he left and wasn't able to ensure that. So as of now, Stanford has still not defined their maximum buildout. Um, and from everyone's perspectives, like citizens of Palo Alto and Stanford students and supervisors, they they haven't imagined it themselves. Like they're just planning on inevitable growth. So that is that's a big aspect of this draft environmental impact report that Scope is is hounding on and wants to see. Incorporated. Mm-hmm. So, so when you talk about the uh, impact as far as uh, maximum growth, is, is that actually real growth on Stanford land and Stanford development? And I guess is yeah. Well, I guess you talk about how that is reflected in the impact report. And I guess on top of it is how much does the impact report reflect the impact on the surrounding communities? How, how does that work? Well, in general, I think we'd say, you know, in our comments, we express that we think they've done an insufficient job. And so that's certainly something that we hope to see um, improved by the time that the final environmental impact report is released. And I also wanted to add, as you're talking about, should we be stopping growth? Is this an issue? I I think from a a standpoint, scope 2035 is not anti-development, not anti-growth in any way. In my opinion, Stanford's going to grow this the growth is inevitable and i think that's true for the entire region and so we are concerned with how can we make sure that folks who are typically excluded from this type of process and concerns that are typically con- excluded from this process especially equity ones given that the fact that you know the assessment of the project is from an environmental lens because of sequa because of the law that requires the environmental impact report how can we include equity issues in this discussion so, uh, yeah, I guess the the question is, what is the best case outcome? If if you really push out, make the and really have your voice heard in the GOP, what kind of what's the best outlook for the change that you could see in it? I would say we'd want to see um, everyone who is being added to the Stanford population being housed on campus. That's obviously a stretch, um, but we want 
to utilize the land that Stanford has. And we're also thinking about, we also really care about making sure that workers have access to housing on campus. They're the ones who are impacted the most by this crisis. We would love to see more transportation benefits extended to workers. They receive very little. Their parking is not free for them. Um, and and they are not given the same type of commute club incentives that others are given. And we also want to see the um, the affordable impact fee raised to a, a level that really actually addresses the impact that Stanford's having. So and and to go one more time, you I, I saw one hundred and seventy something dollars is what you would like to see it raised to. Well. So we completed a nexus study sure. on our own um, that assessed that that was the impact, the impact per square foot of an uh, of a Stanford building, more academic space was about one hundred seventy dollars per square foot. Um, obviously that's not a reasonable thing to ask Stanford to pay so for example Palo Alto found that the actual impact was worth $264 per square foot for commercial development and recommended the consultant that prepared their study recommended that $35 per square foot was an at like a reasonable fee to ask for. So at one point, Palo Alto even considered raising it to $60 so that's the range that's kind of that's being discussed. And so we'd like to see a higher, certainly something higher than $20. So we're talking about like, I guess, neighbors around here, Palo Alto, mm-hmm. abuts, uh, you know, abuts Stanford in Santa Clara County. And as far as I understand, I, I, I followed the, I guess, the general zoning plan in Palo Alto. Stanford falls under its sphere of influence. It, does that really matter much as far as the GUP goes? I re- really don't understand exactly mm-hmm. all the details of that right now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. How often do you interact with Palo Alto so far, and how often do you see interacting with Palo Alto in the future? Well, we, we see neighbors of Stanford care a lot about this process. Uh, Palo Alto asked for an extension on the, the commenting period, as did the, the city of Menlo Park, as did the uh, San Mateo County Board of Supervisors. And it's especially interesting because Stanford is on the very northern end of this of Santa Clara County, and Palo Alto is also in the county. But other neighbors like Menlo Park, East Palo Alto, Redwood City, um, and all of San Mateo County are not given the same seat at the table because they don't have elected representatives in the Board of Supervisors voting on this. So we see we have seen that, um, especially in San Mateo County, people care a lot about the impacts of this. And so we see, um, you know, folks from the Palo Alto City Council and the Palo Alto City Planning Commission at the public meetings about the GUP all the time. There there's definitely an understanding from neighbors who are concerned with development, the impacts that this has. And, and and Stanford staff, faculty, everybody, they don't all live in Santa Clara County right now. Do, do you have information on exactly what you've seen as far as commuters go? Yeah, well, Stanford has this great option um, for graduate students, and I assume it's available for staff and faculty if they need it. Um, Some staff and faculty, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, do, you know, do you know which staff and faculty? I want to say some. That's always <laughs> that's you always know. Is that just a handful so they right. can say some, or does it actually mean a meaningful amount? Uh, do you have any information on that? Well, we certainly <laughs> think that it's not given to the people who need it most. I don't. I can't you know yeah, give okay. you specific numbers about that. Sure. Yeah, but one, for example, one really great benefit of this is um, a, a Caltrain a Caltrain Go Pass for the year, so you don't have to pay to commute. You know, from San Francisco or. Um, from further down south, San Jose. Um, so that's uh, that's one example. 
Yeah. Um, people, I mean, people are increasingly com- commuting from farther and farther away. We There are um, workers in the union that we work with commuting from Tracy, from as far as the Central Valley, to work here. Um, so, sir, like, commute is an extremely important part. Um, and Stanford cares a lot about commutes. The the no net new trips policy that they're not going to increase the number of cars coming to campus each day actually originated with the 2000 GUP. And they take extreme pride in the fact that since 2000, they have not increased the number of cars coming to campus. And they have this wonderful transportation benefit program that Cecily was just talking about to prevent that. They pour a lot of money into um, public transportation waivers and um, carpool uh, incentives and so we'd love to see that extended to more people so do they actually make that I, I guess do they enforce that by just not to increase the amount of parking on campus to make sure that no, no new trips can happen exactly everyone knows how expensive it is to park here and that's en- entirely the reasoning is if we if we increase the amount of money and the, don't change the number of spots uh, people will be incentivized to come in other ways so, okay, so uh, I guess looking at the figures I have, is it, is it still true that the, the GUP is looking at zero new units for postdocs and, and any staff for the next go-around? Well, they, they uh, claim, Stanford claims that their... Um, the faculty housing that they're asking they're asking for in the application would include postdoc uh, students, but they don't include postdoc students in the population numbers when they're comparing the two. So they say we've got a little over 700 new faculty and staff members coming. We'll build a little over 500 and uh, units, but then they they don't say and they say those units are also for postdocs, but then they don't bring in the postdoc numbers. So there there's some, you know, discrepancy that we've found that we want to see addressed in terms of those types of numbers. And and when you really look at it in, within that critical way, we're seeing there's absolutely no way Stanford is satisfying um the uh a mitigation of the housing demand in this area that they're they're generating. So yeah, this is uh, the Henry George program. We're here with Cecily Foote and Nanny Freeman of Nanny Freeman, excuse me, of uh, of Scope Twenty Thirty Five. Uh, so let's talk about, I guess, the the, the timing of, of the GUP. Uh, you were had a big big push over the last couple of months about making public comments for the impact report in the environment, and that is now closed. So if a person is is their their blood is now you know fired up for this, what should they be thinking about for the future on what what matters as far as this goes? Yeah, so right now, now that all the comments are in, it closed last Friday at 5 p.m., um, the the county, the supervisors are in the process of going through the comments, and they have to respond to every single one of them. And with all of that information, incorporate it into the final environmental impact report. So this is this is the county supervisor's staff is going to be basically making the final impact report that's going to be going to the supervisors to the, the planning department will be will yeah. be pl- like going through all of that um, and then that will be presented to the supervisors to review the final environmental impact report and um, review the permit and think you know kind of think about what conditions of approval they want to see. There's also going to be um, a period for public comment and public uh, time for. Um, folks to share how they feel about this f- following the release of the the final report. So there's still certainly ways to engage. Um, and, you know, we're trying to track some of the technical stuff from the beginning, but it's certainly still heating up. 
for sure. And, and, and the I guess the, the finish line is when the supervisors vote on the GUP, and that's happening later this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do we have a timeline on when that would happen? Well, they're expecting late summer, early fall, um, so hopefully around September or, or October. So, and, and as far as scope, well, what is what what is the group doing in the meantime to basically you know hit different parts of this timeline and, and make their influence known and 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 I guess other people in the community's influence known uh, mm-hmm. as this as this comes to a head. I think we're really focusing on education right now. Um, like we were talking about, like you mentioned earlier, it's hard to care about the general use permit if you don't understand and know the ways in which. Um, it's connected to things like housing and transportation and, and the crisis that we're in and the severity of the crisis that we're in. So I think really generating those discussions on campus is, is a big goal that we have and um, also creating relationships with community partners and other organizations who are focusing on similar work and um, kind of maintaining, a, um, maintaining that conversation. You said the the group is about you know fifty with about a dozen uh, active members for for weekly. Are you hoping to grow beyond that? And, and on top of that, what would you if you had just a, you know mobs of people join you? What do you think they could productively do to help uh, to help all this? I think the power of a crowd visually is is <laughs> not something to be understated. Um, I think is, but there there are instances when having a bunch of people in a physical place, like for example, at the public meetings um, before the comment period closed. If there were just a few people in the room, then that that sends the message that this isn't very important to the community. And for the very first public meeting on the GUP, um, only seven people showed up, mm. and and for the last meeting, the room was packed. And so that discrepancy shows that people are are really caring about it. So, yeah, there's really no upper limit on how many people we want to see getting involved. Um, and there are always more things to do, like helping uh, students get help build our, our media presence and, and work on outreach to other organizations um, and work with, you know, journalists to get our message out even further. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, one, one thing we talk about is the, uh, I guess, the non-GUP activities of Scope 2035. I've seen stuff that you folks have been doing, I guess, for uh, housing justice elsewhere. San Jose rent control is one thing you're talking about. One thing is, ta- is working with the uh, the staff union that works mm-hmm. on campus. And uh, one other thing is uh, uh, displacement, uh, working to, to stop evictions of, of uh, I guess, RV living in uh, East Palo Alto. Do, would you like to comment on any of these other activities that Scope has been up to? I don't think those, those you know, specific actions are things that we have... Um, really had a, a stake in in terms of our own work. I think we yeah. very much focused on the general use permit, but we're certainly um, consider ourselves to be allies of those organizations and those actions as well. So is, is it a big tent here at, at Scope 2035? Do you have people who would like to influence housing justice in different ways? Or would you say, well, I think you'd be better suited in a, in a different Stanford group? How, how do you deal if someone says, I think that uh, making sure we can make it legal to live in RVs is is my particular, you know, uh, you know, pet project. Uh, how, well, how do you face these kind of folks in your group? I think in the longer term, a lot of people are, are very interested in these issues. Our members are concerned with this stuff. And I think in the longer term, we'd love to see our group develop 
um, beyond the general use permit into a group that is is constantly considering Stanford's role in the region and and the ways in which Stanford students can plug into things um, that you're talking about and other actions really happening in other jurisdictions because I think um, we can certainly consider ourselves to be resources if we um, do so in you know and uh, ways that are conscientious of our role and and just throwing it out there is, is the group I guess uh, connected all with action going on at the state level in Sacramento at the moment. That's not yeah, something no. we're yeah, yeah very involved in. <laughs> well, it's it's I gotta say it's it's a lot of the exciting things going on as far as influencing the local policies are happening in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. You can I guess between Scott Weiner's bill last year SB thirty five and the ones down the pipe SB eight twenty seven. It's very. I was going to Sunnyvale City Council just earlier this week and they. They absolutely hate uh, SB 827. At least they just hate the lack of local control. Mm-hmm. And I guess as it comes down to, does does a group really think about really the the larger scope of how to reform local control <laughs> here in the Bay Area? Because I think you're looking at uh, you know a lot of concrete practical changes for a for a general use permit that's coming down the pipe mm-hmm. but as far as like maybe you know the grander vision that this plugs into how well what is the overall uh, you know how does this plug into an overall vision for scope 2035 mm-hmm. I don't think we've taken you know we're, I don't see us taking a political position on a lot of those things because we really are like you're saying are focused on the concrete issues related to this permit in the short term um, but we'll, it'll be interesting to see as as the permit finalizes where um, the interests of the group really develop. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I I guess there's a lot of, of, of staff here that says that they are now being understaffed. And I, I suppose it's if Stanford is facing greater cost of living for its staff, they have two choices. Either they can work to house the staff or they can actually increase the benefits to make it equal for them. You're talking a lot about the transit benefits. Uh, how is it, I, I guess, are are you seeing any uh, firsthand of 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 this uh, this understaffed uh, need for workers in Stanford campus? And is Stanford made anything about what they plan to do to address mm-hmm. this? Well, there's currently a campaign um, that the union that we work with, SCIU Local 2007, is working on. Um, dining hall staff are um, are a group of people on on campus who feel that they're. Um, you know, the responsibilities are too much and these dining halls are understaffed and along with other issues like lack of um, ability for a, like to look for a promotion. There's a lot of issues happening um, related to specifically dining hall worker treatment right now. So that's definitely, um, you know, something that's that's of great imp- that's of great visibility at the moment. I think what's interesting to think about is that in terms of retention it's actually extremely in Stanford's interest to house more and more people here it's in Facebook and Google's interest to find solutions to this housing problem because they're having a hard time keeping people here um, and because of the high cost of living and so I, I think it's interesting that there are opportunities like this for Stanford to really work in its best interest how can we make sure that workers stay here how can we make sure that the faculty we care about stay here which is why they're the faculty are given the benefits um, and and because this situation is not in their interest. So yeah, earlier we were talking about I guess what what you're studying here at Stanford, and uh, why don't you go a little bit into that and how it's I guess influenced how you're I guess using that knowledge for Scope 2035. 
Yeah, so for me, um, I'm studying Earth systems in a program called Environmental Communication. And I'm focusing more on kind of multimedia forms of communication, um, but also written. Um, and yeah, I think I think it's super relevant. I think a huge thing about environmental communication is um, wanting to communicate science and environmental problems in a way that's um, not alienating for people um, and approachable and um, you know emotional emotionally charged and I think uh, a lot of these things apply to communicating issues about um, things like housing and transportation justice and you know equity locally I'm not familiar with that program well what department is that in it's in earth systems okay yeah so is it, how much of it is communication how much is about the environmental science um, it's it's really a blend and it and it really um, comes down to what individual students want to focus on yeah um, so like I've personally taken some classes that are more um, leaning toward focusing on the media itself and some that are truly a blend. Uh, yeah. And, and, and your program? Uh, I'm in the urban studies program, so um, very related to the, the urban development policy and governance uh, side of things. Um, so it, it's extremely applicable to this situation. But was growing up in the Bay Area an influence of what got you to see urban studies as, a, as an important thing to, to look at? Definitely. To live in a region that is so sprawled and, so, uh, and have so many jurisdictions working separately on issues of urban development, I think, um, was fascinating to me. We're also, you know, a region of seven million people so I definitely was um and and housing particularly was the thing that's uh, piqued my interest so uh, yeah and cecily you mentioned you're a co-term so i guess the end is in sight do you know what's what's next for you is the bay area looking like a possibility or are you moving on i i don't i don't want to stay in the bay area <laughs> um, i yeah i am kind of tired of being in like the tech bubble and being around all of these issues um but I, yeah, I'm I'm really interested in seeing what it's like to work maybe um, in local government or, um, yeah, really doing really community focused work, probably in like multimedia communication. Yeah, I mean, I'm, are you seeing a lot of that elsewhere? Because I mean, I personally say, if I wasn't so focused with, I guess, being angry and fighting the Bay Area, I couldn't stick around here. I mean, how much how much disappointment with the Bay Area are you seeing around the campus and and the student body? <laughs> It's it's hard to gauge. I I think a lot of people really love it, and I have a lot of friends who have stayed here after graduation and who are still around. Um. <laughs> what do you see? What, personally, what do you think uh, would, would you knew that you'd be happier elsewhere than staying around here? Well, what 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 set you off, or what do you know is kind of a deal breaker as far as the Bay Area goes? Um, I think cost of living is huge. Um, I think, like personally, I've I've been here for six years, and I want something different and want to challenge myself in, in different places. Yeah. Um, so part of it's just personal. And and we know uh, we have a, a Bay Area native here. Well, what's what's your background and how, how functional was your housing and how different was your housing, uh, your hometown? Yeah, so I'm from Austin, Texas, mm. um, born and raised, and it's in a really interesting period of extreme growth right now. I mean, it's it's the Silicon Valley, you know, overflow zone right now to a big extent. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do, do are they? Are, is their mindset? I mean, how are are people really starting to, I guess, react to the fact that Bay Area is saying, "Oh, you know, we'll just," it's like if it doesn't work here, you're you're next on our list. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I'm not completely tapped into like advocacy and actions there, 
Um, but I think that I know for sure that um, cost of living is going up and transportation is an issue. And there's never been a great public transportation system in Austin. And um, so it's definitely and there's also more room to sprawl than there is in the Bay Area. Yeah. And yeah, I, I guess it's it's uh yeah, I mean, you talk about. I guess Austin is is a real city. It's 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 just it's very weird for people to be here because you're part of Stanford and you realize just how many overlapping levels of government are all interacting to make anything happen, from the transportation systems to all the different. Uh, is it, do you feel that this has come to a, a surprise you? Just how complicated all this is? <laughs> I, I don't know, or do you know that this is? You know, you're always going to find different layers if you dig deep enough. I. Yeah, I feel like I'm not too surprised. Um, yeah, I think there are always surprising aspects. Um, but overall, I think I go into into situations like this expecting lots of levels and, and slow, slow drudgery involved in change. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we have to uh, wrap up here by uh, 45 after. So I guess, I guess concluding thoughts. I guess one is what is the focus and I guess of, of that each you would say and what, what is uh, what is like a, you know, an optimistic, you know, hope of a real change that you each have? Mm. Um, yeah, I think a big focus for me is um, in the education phase, like getting more people to understand the issue and what's going on um, and making a lot of local connections. So if I put you in a room with a random student at Stanford, how <laughs> likely are you to really make them, I guess, see that this is something that is worth a little bit of, 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 their, of, their, of their time and thought? I feel like it'd be fairly easy to. I think a lot of these problems that we've outlined are fairly straightforward and easy to grapple with um, being a, a student and being around campus. And, and really it's about effectively they're demanding that their campus is sustainable and I guess is able to I guess contain its own <laughs> systems without overflowing on, on the rest of the, the Bay Area? Is that the overall I guess, I guess what is the main pitch you have when you educate people on you know why this is just not boring abstruse stuff some some discipline that is just irrelevant to them? Well I think a big point of connection that you can make for students is is the workers on campus because these are people that students are seeing every day and often have relationships with like the the dining hall workers and the dining halls that they go to or the the workers who come and clean their own dorms and houses um, I think making it really personal and connecting it that way um, can be powerful and uh, yeah nani what's 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 your focus and and hope for the future um, i yeah I agree with Cecily I think more people understanding the um, the issue is is super important. I'd also love to see concrete um, things come out of this permit. I'd love to see conditions of approval that, um, you know, our our full mitigation is what jo Supervisor Joseph Midian is emphasizing. Um, and so we'd love to see some of this concrete action. I also um, I think to me what's what's at the the core of all of this is that Stanford is harming its neighbors. We're harming low-income communities of color like in the East Palo Alto. People are being displaced right now. And so like you were saying, uh, you know, containing its own systems, I'd like to see us not be a bad neighbor. I'd like to 
I like to widen what we consider the Stanford community to be. I believe that the Stanford community is everyone who is works and lives on campus, but also everyone in surrounding communities who know people who are, are involved in Stanford or have gone to Stanford. And so I'd like to see us treat this that community um, with you know respect in, in the way that um, I think we need to as neighbors. Yeah, I mean, we, we have this, I guess, overall mindset in the Bay Area is just this desperation and fight for these limited number of housing spots and everything that you have. But, I mean, if if we implement real reform, there is no necessary reason that there should not be enough secure housing for everybody who, who needs it. And it's, there's a lot of, I guess, pessimism out there. It's mm-hmm. like, this is just the way things is. Growth, it happens, mm-hmm. it destroys communities. But it's it's really nice to see a group really focused on the I guess the the, the mechanisms mm-hmm. to really try to do I guess the very first steps to make sure that yeah housing insecurity doesn't need to happen to anybody absolutely and and the source of all of this is the great fortune and abundance abundance of this economic center that we have here in Silicon Valley I think that's you know that makes it all the more reason to um, utilize that that you know there's great uh, wealth disparity in this area and because of it and um, facilitated by this economic generator and so I think um, this is an incredible opportunity for the Bay Area to really get our act together in my opinion <laughs> and, and Stanford has a lot of power to change Absolutely, things I definitely. mean with with this much uh, yeah a thousand acres of land they have a lot of possibility to change things so uh, yeah thank you very much for your time this has been uh, uh, Nani Friedman and Cicely Foote of Scope 2035 thank you thank so much you. for having us this has been the Henry George Program here on KZSU Stanford you can find previous episodes of the program on the website seethecat.org there's also a place to subscribe to the, uh, the podcast feed and all that. This is a presentation of Case Issue Stanford.